Season 3, Episode 9 of the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. On the week before this episode was released, there was a post on a local Facebook group about the use of caught-up or playback to lure an out-of-range woodland kingfisher that had shown up at Camdebu National Park in the Eastern Cape to come closer. The post caused much debate around the topic, as this topic has done on many other occasions on various online forums. So I thought it would finally be a good time to tackle the important topics of the use of callback and ethical birding on a podcast episode. So I'm not going to try and tell you what is best. Instead, I'm going to have a chat with two well-known birders who have slightly different views on the topics, Lynette Rudman and Trevor Hodaker. And then I'll let Andrew DeBlock from BirdLife South Africa share their stance on the use of callback as well as ethical birding. I believe as you listen to the different guests share on these all-important topics, you'll be better equipped to make better choices out in the field. For those who are not familiar with the terms, callback is also called playback, playing tape, playing calls, or call-up. These are all the same things and refer to playing either the bird's own call or the call of a predator, often using apps on a cell phone to lure the bird into the open or closer. Pushing or spishing is hissing, sucking, or squeaking noises made with one's mouth to mimic the sounds that birds use to signal when danger threatens. Again, to lure birds in dense habitat into the open. This is an example of how it sounds. Please take some time to visit our online store on our website. We sell optics, books, art and more, all to help you as a birder. If you need further assistance about products or anything else around the birding life, drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com and we will get back to you. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes as well as the Bird Lesser Bird Logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously where to find amazing birds. Check out our website at www.thebirdinglife.com, our YouTube channel, our various social media platforms, as well as the other podcasts we host. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to help others find the show. So let us get into this week's episode of the Birding Life Podcast. The first guest I'm going to chat to is well-known Eastern Cape birder, Lynette Rudman. She was the one that first posted the post on the Facebook group that got the discussion going. It's good to welcome her back to the show. So we're going to chat all about bird calls and and ethical birding today. So firstly, how do you define ethical birding? I think it's just, you know, we should not be invasive um, out in the field. We should be mindful of the way we bird and um, we should respect the birds and their behavior. If we see they stressed, then we should back down. And yeah, it's just generally having a respect for nature 
for birds and especially for your fellow birders as well. And just to be more specific, we shouldn't share things like nest locations, especially for sensitive birds, because um, some people get over-enthusiastic and want to get too close to photograph to touch the eggs and that type of thing. And as I said, keep a reasonable distance from nests, from rarities, from sensitive species, from owls, etc. And, you know, um, not to like flush birds um, if we can help it. And as I said earlier, be mindful of other birders. You aren't the only birder, you know, that wants to see birds. And I'm talking more about at a rarity site. When a rarity has been found, there are other birders that will come after you the next day or maybe the next week to hopefully try and see it. So think of them as well. So don't Go in sort of in an invasive, aggressive way to get good shots of the bird and overcall it. Think of those who are coming after you. Also, playing calls of some species can attract predators. I know of some examples, which I will mention later in the talk, things that have actually happened to the detriment of the bird that was being called. Do not play call in like high birding traffic areas like a nature reserve, national park, botanical gardens or bird hides. Um, imagine if everybody went to these places and played the calls, the birds just wouldn't respond at all in the end. And limit the use of the playback. It sh shouldn't be the first resort, whip out your phone and start calling. Um, it should actually be the last resort. And play snippets, not like a, you know, play for like half an hour or an hour at full volume. Yeah, you must use your discretion as a birder. And also I'm bringing up something that's not called related but which I have seen before is respect private property. If you see a bird fly into a camp on a farm do not climb the fence and follow it unless you've got permission from the farmer. And just um, some other things, stay on the roads, don't drive all over the felt and mess up all the feinbos or all the succulents that are, are growing in a sensitive area. And um, do not use flash photography very close up on things like owls, which have very big eyes, especially like uh, some people get over-enthusiastic and want that perfect photo and they forget how powerful their flashes actually are. Just to finish this, um, I was doing a bit of Googling um, some research and I came upon an international website that had stuff about ethical birding. And they actually quoted BirdLife South Africa, which I was really chuffed about. A quote, they said, Always behave in a manner that, that will enhance the image of the birding community in the eyes of the public. So you must always remember you are the eyes of birding. If you behave badly, it um, shows the public that all birders are um, like that. So, yeah. Be an ambassador for birding. So this whole episode came into being because of a post on a local Facebook group that you're a part of. And one thing I've noticed is that you have strong opinions around the use of callback. So what do you feel about the use of callback and what experiences have shaped what you believe? Well, I used to bird with birders at the beginning that used call up, but very sparingly. I'll mention names. Justin Nicolau, Daniel Danquitz, 
Tim Cocroft. Those are all very prominent birders now. And from the beginning, they used call up very sparingly. And I remember Justin calling up birds. And the moment the bird flew in, he switched off. And if one of us was calling the bird on our phones, he'd like shout, switch off, switch off. You know, it's arrived. You don't need to call it once it's in. And he also taught us that call at the volume the bird would call in nature. Do not put the volume up because, you know, it might sound very aggressive to the bird. And we were also taught by these guys never, ever to call a rarity. It was just not done. It was considered totally unethical to call a rare bird. I used to call up birds occasionally myself. But um, I don't ever do it anymore. I don't feel the need to call anything because my birding has changed. I prefer sitting quietly observing bird behavior. But I do bird with people occasionally that do use call up and um, I've never had them overdo it. They know the boundaries and they respect the birds. There's an example of call up that went wrong. A guy called George Branford that said I can use his name in this talk. Years ago, he saw a Koran on a road um, near Craddock and only its head was sticking out and it, he was hoping it was a blue Koran. But he, he realized afterwards it was a black one. So he played the call and another one, a more dominant one, flew in and attacked it. And he said he just saw feathers fly. And the poor one that was being attacked tried to get away and it was chased endlessly, um, you know, through the grasslands. He didn't actually see what happened in the end, but he said that actually put him off calling. Um, it upset him. So we have to have that in mind as well. You know, what is our impact is our call having on birds? And then uh, something that really changed my views on call-up, I found an ectorine warbler on the 20th of December 2018 in my neighborhood. And it used to spend its time in six yards around me, uh, you know, neighbors. And every single morning at about half past five, it would sing until about eight o'clock. It would sing especially loudly when the sun reached the tree it was roosting in. And a lot of birders came to actually see it. And I told them all to come any time between half past five and eight. And most people did. But unfortunately, some birders came at like 10 o'clock, much later, and the bird had stopped singing by then. So what do they do? They whip out a phone and start calling it. And I think they did actually find where it was sitting in a, a very thick tree, and it wasn't singing, but I think they did find it. But these guys wanted good photos of it. And they called and called that bird for, I don't know, for ages to try and lure it out to get that photo. And that bird had been in my neighborhood for two whole months. And it vanished after that call-up episode. I used to go out every morning listening for it afterwards, and it was absolutely nowhere to be heard. Um, that upset me terribly, because if those birders had come between half past five and eight, they would have connected with it and got stunning photos, because it used to sit out when the sun came up on a branch out in the open and preen and, and sing and that. So that changed my whole outlook on bird calls, especially for rare birds. You know, this whole thing came about when I brought it up on social media recently. It was birders who are big listers. 
their lists are extremely important. They're extremely competitive. And I was just wondering if this competitive listing isn't sort of making people less sensitive to the well, well-being of the birds. They sort of want that bird at all costs, and they want that photo at all costs, that perfect photo. And um, these guys were apparently blasting the call through Bluetooth speakers in a nature reserve, which to me, those were both two no-nos, not done, shouldn't be done. And it just seems so wrong on every level. And then do you feel that pushing or spishing has the same effect as callback? Um, spishing is a way of like imitating um, birds that are agitated by the sight of maybe a snake or a raptor sitting in a tree. So spishing would call in not one species of bird. It would call in maybe all the birds in the neighborhood. It is similar to me playing a recording of when there was a wormslung in a tree in my garden and every local bird in the neighborhood was there to see the snake and to shout at it. So, you know, spishing is like that. I've used spishing myself and I can't spish very well, so I'm, I've never been successful at it and I don't do it because I can't do it. Some people are very good at it. So in the, on that post on on Facebook, you mentioned that guides are forced to use callback. And I can see why you said this, because guides have pressure to have the pressure to show their guests the birds that the guests want to see. But what is the difference between a guide using callback and a normal birder using callback? Well, there's no difference, really. Um, you know, callback is callback, whether you are a guide or a normal person. But I've birded with some really good guys, Neil, Etienne, Tim, and none of them overdo call up at all. They're nature lovers. They have tremendous respect for birds, and they would never over call or harass a bird. You're not against the occasional use of callback. So here's the question, Lynette. Where do you draw the line? When does it get too much? Okay, um, as I've said before, I do. I have used call up before um, in the past but I, I don't need to call up anymore and I don't use it when I'm out birding on my own and I don't call up when I'm with other people. It's fine if they call up but as long as it's not overdone. I do bird with people that call and I've never had to tell the guys to please stop. You know it's too much so yeah I'm, I'm not totally against call up if it's done tastefully and, and not overdone. So here's the thing. If bird apps have bird calls on them, I feel that this is always going to be an area of controversy. So what things could be done to better educate birders? Yeah, I think it, it is a very controversial topic. It really is. It gets people's backs up, some people. But I find most people are anti-call up. I think there are still a lot of birders that want to just go out into the felt, see what birds they see, and not need to sort of call up every bird as they're driving along. I know of one bird club where some members don't want to go on club outings because the club leader plays calls for every bird to call birds in. And, you know, that's not the right type of birding we should be doing where you need to call in every bird to show everybody. You know, um, people have barnocks, they can... You know, try and see the bird in the bush, in the trees. It doesn't have to be sitting on a pole or a fence because it's been called in. But I think we need to, you know, it's a good thing that we're talking about this topic because it, it's 
a topic that many people avoid because it's very controversial. There are lots of people for and lots against. And if this um, podcast can help somebody think and, you know, maybe say, maybe I shouldn't call as much as I am calling, or maybe I don't need to call as much, or maybe I should stop calling altogether, um, or maybe I must stop calling in the park, in the national park, or I must stop calling, you know, at a bird hide, or maybe I must first ask the birders I'm birding with, you know, do they mind if I call? And, you know, so I think it's good to start a conversation like we are doing to make people think. The next guest was the first ever guest that I interviewed on the podcast. He is a well-known birder and lister, Trevor Horica. Trevor sends out the Southern African rare bird email to thousands of birders every week, alerting them of both out-of-range birds and rarities. While we have you on the shows, this past weekend there was a bit of a controversial post on one of the local birding groups and there were two strong strong opinions around it. And we just thought we are going to have a chat all about the, the use of callback as well as ethical birding. So let's start with the first thing and you unpack this a little bit in when, when you commented on the post. How do you define ethical birding? Yeah, you know, that's a, a catchphrase. It's very popular at the moment, but there isn't any absolute definition for it. I think really ethical birding is about having respect for for the birds and also having respect for your fellow birders. You know, I mean, birding is, it's got a lot to do with the birds, obviously, but the, a big part of it is um, the other birders in the community. So it, it's it's about having respect for both of those. Um, and, and one can take that as, as far as you want, really. I mean, ideally, it's, it's to not overly disturb the birds in any way, disrupt their, their normal behavior, you know, upset them that they move off, etc. And equally with birders, it's about um, sharing information with your fellow birders, um, being friendly to them, helpful to them. And also, you know, if, if you know that certain birders are on their way to come and see a particular bird, then you try and keep your distance and not disturb the bird as much as possible so that they also have a very good chance of actually seeing it. You know, when you talk about this idea of ethical birding, it touches a lot more than just the use of callback. But let's let's hone in on that. What is your opinion on the use of callback? I don't think that there's anything wrong with callback being used in moderation. And there's also certain times that one shouldn't use callback, uh, particularly during the breeding season around nesting sites. I mean, that's that's just not great. You know, when birds are trying to breed, they're trying to display and, and um, proclaim territories, get mates, etc. The last thing you want to do is use callback in that area, which is going to upset the bird. They're going to think there's a intruder in the area and they're going to stop what they were doing and change their behavior. Callback at other times of the year, I think, is is probably fine in moderation. I'm not suggesting that you put your speaker on full blast and put your callback on continuous uh, repetition. You know, just play one or two calls sort of at half volume or something to see if you get a response. If the bird responds, then so be it. But, um, you know, after that, then move on. Uh, there's no need to to see 
every single bird that um, that is around. Um, I know there's, there's been lots of talk about whether you tick lifers as birds that you can see or just birds that you can hear. Um, and I know BirdLife South Africa has promoted ticking lifers on, as birds that you, you see only for this very reason. I'm, I'm probably a little old school. I still want to see the bird at the end of the day, but, but really I'm going to eventually give up if I'm not getting the view of it rather than just continuously play the call. You know, if a bird is going to respond, it's going to respond within the first two or three calls. It's, it's not going to take 25 or 30 calls for it to respond. You know, Trevor, one thing that came up many times on there was this word which has, you know, a lot of people use as almost in a negative way, the idea of listers, people that list the birds they see. And I, I, I personally don't have an issue with listing. I keep a life list, not as high as your life list, but I have a life list. <laughs> and the criticism that comes from a lot of people that are against the use of callback is they say that one of the things that has led to the overuse of callback is the listers. Do you think there's some truth in that? Um, possibly. You know, it, it depends on the particular species. You will find um, at certain well-known sites uh, for a particularly tough bird, they, over the years they may have been overcalled because everybody goes to that site and tries to call the bird up. Uh, and eventually they just learn to, to not respond, to ignore the, the playback. But I... <laughs> I think, yeah, the listers get a lot of bad publicity and it's not necessarily always listers that are that are calling back. There's lots of uh, more recent development is there's a lot of photographers that are also calling in birds just to get the better, you know, shots, the more full frame shots. I mean, one doesn't really want to point fingers in any, any particular direction. I, I think everybody at some point is guilty of, of some... I don't quite know how we turn with bad behavior or, you know, most people, not everybody, but most people have used callback on occasion. And so, yeah, I don't think we we need to point fingers at any particular group uh, and say that it's it's their fault. Ideally, I think most, most birders will get to see birds, uh, hopefully without callback or with very minimal callback, and uh, it won't disturb the birds unnecessarily. I mean, one must also remember certain places like, for instance, down here in the Cape, the, the well-known Cape rock jumpers at Royals. It's not just local birders. You know, you have thousands of visiting birders from all over the world coming into Cape Town. They wanting to see Cape rock jumpers, so everybody goes there. It's the most well-known and accessible site, and they all go there and they play the call to try and bring the birds in. More recently, they've put up signs there now to say that people shouldn't play play calls. But yeah, it has been going on for whatever, 25 or 30 years that they've been playing callback at that site. So there are certain sites like that that do get used not just by local birders, but also by lots of foreign visiting birders. Uh, and eventually those birds will just learn to ignore callback. And then um, pushing or spishing, it's really a cool word to sound a podcast episode. <laughs> do you think those have the same effect as callback or do you think they're a little bit less harmful to the birds? Well, uh, I don't know that, that it, ha- it has the same effect. So with, with callback, effectively you're playing the part of an intruder in the bird's territory and another bird of the same species coming in and, and calling in the territory. Whereas with spishing, it's effectively like an alarm. So it could be 
that there's other imminent danger it might be a snake or some other predator in the area and that's why the birds come in to investigate so it doesn't have the same specific effect on the birds but either of them done, done in moderation i don't think is a is a bad thing you know you're also not going to sit and fish for 25 minutes i don't think any bird with their salt has the lungs and the, to do that uh, you eventually run out of uh, out of oomph and one must also remember that, you know, birds react differently at different times of the year. Obviously, at the onset of the breeding season, so sort of late winter and early spring, birds are, are they react very quickly. So they'll, they'll come in almost immediately for callback or spishing. Whereas uh, this time of the year, late, late summer, and as we move into autumn, birds typically are not that interested in, in callback or spishing. And um, you can see it any day that you go into the f- into the field now. You know, if you go and fish at a particular site, um, you may only have one or two birds coming in. Whereas at the same site in August or September, certainly down here in the Cape, you may have twenty or thirty birds coming in to investigate. So I think people also need to bear that in mind. There are certain times of the year where where callback and spishing is of less value. It just doesn't work as well because the birds are less interested in it. And then as someone who is one of South Africa's top listers and who's been on many Twitch sites, what are some callback etiquette and maybe just etiquette in terms of ethical birding that should be observed at Twitch sites? Well, you know, ideally one hopefully shouldn't be playing any callback at a Twitch site, especially if the, if the bird is obviously around. You know, I think people need to understand that you you need to allocate a little bit of time. You you can't just arrive at a twitch, get out your vehicle, and you, you haven't seen the bird in the first five seconds, so you immediately resort to callback. I mean, you, you need to, to give it some time. Birds do move around. They might hide away for a little while. So give it some time and give the, ch- the bird a chance to show itself without any callback or spishing. Uh, I, th- I also think that at a twitch, when there are a number of uh, people around, you need to take cognizance of what everybody feels about whatever it is you're going to do, whether you're going to spish or attempt to call back or try and get closer, etc. You know, I mean, and you also need to think about people that are still on their way. So on the the first day of a twitch, when the bird is still very new and, and people are still traveling, I think it's a big no-no probably to do any sort of callback. If the bird has been around for a couple of weeks and a lot of people have already gotten to see the thing, maybe one could consider a little bit of callback at that stage. But that initial first day or two, when there's still lots of people traveling to see the bird, you want to disturb it as little as possible to give everybody else the best possible chance of seeing it. Um, so that's, I mean, callback is one of the things. The others is, you know, obviously don't try and get too close, push the bird too much for, for full frame photos. Anything that may disturb the bird unnecessarily should be avoided where possible. So in the Facebook post, and even early on, you actually mentioned that you're not against the use of moderate, a moderate amount of callback, using a moderate amount. So when does moderate become excessive? Where does that line get drawn? I'm not sure that there's a specific line. I suppose people just need to use a, a little bit of logic. You know, you, you can play the call a, a couple of times and then leave it off for whatever, 15 minutes or so, 
maybe play it another couple of times. But I mean, more than two um, rotations of the recording is not really necessary, uh, you know. So just putting it on and letting it run continuously is not going to do anything. Firstly, you're, you're going to battle to hear if the bird actually does respond, especially if it's further away. And a continuous calling like that is perhaps even just a little unnatural for the bird. So it's not necessarily going to respond. So just a couple of rotations, turn it off and leave it off for a decent amount of time, then try again a couple of rotations. And after the second time, well, if the bird's not responding, then it's probably not going to respond. So yeah, I think I think one thing that we would all agree, well, most people would agree, with, there is there are people that use probably use callback well, and there's also people that are excessive in the use of callback. How do you think we could better educate people to use callback better? Well, I think the most important thing to understand is that we're trying to interact with the bird sort of semi naturally by using callback. You know, we've got no other way to talk to the birds, as it were. So we we must just take note of what the birds actually do. I mean, very few birds, okay, there are there are some, like maybe the tinker bird that just sits on a branch and goes on forever and ever. But very few birds actually just call continuously all the time. It's not a natural thing to do. So we've got to try and make our callback as natural as possible. And, and also, they don't necessarily call at volume 15 or 20, you know, the, the some a lot of the birds call fairly softly. So, I mean, one needs to try and um, recreate what the birds are actually doing. If it's, a, if it's a bird that calls quite softly, there's no need to put the speaker at full volume. You put it at half volume or even less to, to emulate what the bird is actually doing. And I think people just need to spend some time looking and more, more specifically listening to what the birds actually do before they start using callback because, and, and trying to emulate what the birds do. And, and that will be the, the probably the least intrusive and least disruptive to the actual birds. Just one last comment is really just that also just watch, watch the birds. I mean, you can sometimes actually visually see that the bird is getting overly irritated or whatever the case may be. That's an absolute sign to stop what you're doing. I mean, that people shouldn't need to be educated about that. They just need to watch. And if the bird is showing signs of being really irritated, just step back, stop what you're doing, and give it some time to, to relax a bit. Our last guest is the AV Tourism Project Manager at BirdLife South Africa, Andrew DeBlock. He will be sharing BirdLife South Africa's stance on both the use of callback and birding ethics. So we're going to jump right into it. How does BirdLife South Africa see ethical birding and what are some areas that fall into how they define this? So BirdLife South Africa has a a policy on birding ethics and we've produced something called the Birders Code of Ethics. You can find it on our website and it's also something people have to agree to to join the South Africa Listers Club, which we'll talk about later. But ethics uh, of birding covers a few different spheres, if I can say it that way. Of course, today we're talking mainly about playback or, or, or call playing, um, and, and it's not that that is necessarily unethical on its own, but certainly used excessively or disruptively. Uh, it also covers the disturbance of birds in their habitats, uh, which is quite a broad sort of umbrella term. Of course, anything like littering or damaging the environment, like driving off-road in sensitive habitats, is obviously 
unethical from a birding perspective. And then the more human aspects of trespassing, sort of dealing with respect with other birders around you, etc. So if I can say it this way, I think ethical birding from BirdLife South Africa's perspective is birding that puts the welfare of birds in their habitats as well as the welfare of other people as your priorities. Um, I think uh, in the in the modern birding era, the priorities have shifted somewhat, especially with competitive birding and, and people being quite hell-bent on their lists. We can sometimes forget that our first priorities should always be the birds themselves and following that the other people that are birding with you. So there's a lot of debates around the use of callback while birding. So what is BirdLife South Africa's stance on this? So the Birders Code of Ethics is quite brief as a document. It does deal with playback directly, but it's it's quite limited in, in what it says. Uh, it says basically the, the wording is to avoid using playback. So we've not gone the route of saying absolutely outright ban on, on using playback for birds. I think that's probably unrealistic, but it does say to avoid it. And, and particularly it mentions that you should avoid it around endangered birds. So any birds that have a conservation status designation, whether that's near threatened, vulnerable, endangered, or critically endangered, and then around breeding birds as well as a particular area to avoid using playback. So you spoke there about breeding birds, but what impact does using callback at nesting sites have? So breeding birds, um, especially those who have an active nest, rather than sort of independent chicks, is particularly damaging for a number of reasons. It can divert the attention of the parents away from feeding and caring for their young. Uh, This can also put them at risk, uh, the chicks that is, if the parents have to leave the nest to come and pay attention to whatever this call is and where it's coming from. Of course, leaving chicks on a nest who are fairly helpless leaves them open to predation risk. And if they're in the incubation stage, then of course, uh, leaving them in the nest unattended means that they can suffer cold or heat stress depending on the situation. So certainly bringing the parents away from the nest uh, opens the chicks up to all sorts of different risks. Of course, you're also stressing out the parents themselves. And in any biological context, the parents are generally going to look after themselves first um, before they look after their chicks. And if you're stressing the parents out, they're likely to then put themselves first, feed themselves first. Um, And if you're stressing them out, it means they're going to pay less attention to their chicks. And the reason for that is that the parents can always come back and breed the next year. So perhaps you might cause a breeding failure, with uh, certainly with repeated disturbances. And then I guess at the at the worst end of the spectrum, you could cause a nest abandonment. So the parents just get so stressed out or decide that it's an unsafe environment with competing birds of the same species. And, you know, they can also leave the environment and decide to abandon their nest or abandon their territory, um, which would obviously be quite a sad uh, thing to happen. And I have heard anecdotal stories about this happening with very charismatic species that most listeners in Southern Africa will be familiar with is uh, the Pell's fishing owl. Um, I have a, a friend who worked as a ranger on a lodge on the Zambezi and a particular lodge discovered that they had breeding Pell's fishing owls nearby and they took the guests every night to play callback and um, eventually the, the owls abandoned their nest and um, they were never seen again then at that spot. So it can be sort of minor benign disturbances, but they are particularly with breeding birds opportunities for real disturbance to take place. You know, the one thing I can imagine will be a bit of a challenge, and you speak here about two things. Firstly, you speak about the conservation status of the bird, and you also speak about knowing when birds are breeding and that. And I can imagine 
especially for newer birders, that would be quite challenging because they might not always know the conservation status of birds and they might not always know when birds are in breeding season. Yeah, fair enough. But also I think most birders that are using playback are doing it from an app, right? So generally these apps will have the conservation status of the bird listed right there next to where you're pressing the button. So I don't know if that's such a good excuse. And, you know, certainly with breeding birds, a lot of the time, well, most of the time when birds are breeding, they're obviously quite reclusive or hiding their nests from predators and the like. So fair enough, you might not know that a bird is breeding. Um, but if you see it carrying nesting material, if you see it carrying food, generally a bird, if it's feeding itself, it's going to eat it on site. And they, if they're carrying food, it means they're taking it back for either their partner or for their chicks. So in those instances, absolutely, you should be paying attention. And um, yeah, I mean, if, any, if you are investigating a bird and you find a nest, then, then obviously avoid it. Obviously, this whole episode flowed out of a, a conversation that took place on a on a local Facebook group, and this the the two sides, whether people are for it or against it, often get quite emotional, and people can be struck quite strongly opinionated as to what they believe. But in terms of what BirdLife South Africa's stance is, is there scientific evidence that backs the stance they've taken? Yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there with the emotional polarization that takes place. And I think there, there are people on both sides that take it too far in either direction. And with many things, the truth is somewhere in the middle, in the gray area. Um, and that's where science is very helpful in teasing apart, you know, what is the truth and what is reality. Unfortunately, on this subject, there isn't a whole lot of scientific evidence that I'm aware of. There's a very popular paper that was published in 2013 that gets referred to a lot um, in pieces about this on, on the internet and in interviews and the like. Um, it was just scientists in Ecuador looking at um, species of wrens and antpitters. And basically, they, they played calls to these birds and then observed them for an hour afterwards and tracked how many vocalizations they made. Obviously, birds are vocalizing to sort of uh, enhance their territorial status and let other birds know that they are sort of in residence. And it's also a sign of, a sign of can be a sign of stress at least. Um, and if birds are spending time calling, then they're not necessarily spending time feeding or preening or resting or doing any of the number of other things that they need to be doing during the day. So it's a bit of a drain on their energy and time. And their study did show a significant difference between the, the birds that were played played calls of their own species versus controls, like something like a, a river running by or, or white noise or the like. So certainly it, it showed with scientific backing that using play playback does stress out birds. I think that's something that birders sort of know instinctively. And I've seen um, this happen, you know, birds being played out at certain areas that they're no longer responding to calls. But to have some scientific backing on that is quite good. And I think maybe there needs to be a challenge to some of the local researchers, whether it's the FITS or another institution, to show this in an African context and, and make it a bit more relevant to us here. Um, I just think it's not a particularly sexy research topic for someone to take up. Um, researchers are, there's a million things to look at and, and maybe the playback is not quite high up on the agenda, but um, certainly there's a lot of public interest as a, uh, this conversation has shown. It's quite a messy subject because, you know, I've seen po posts on Facebook where you get guides who are able to call birds up not using their phone, but actually with their mouths, they almost learn to mimic the calls of birds. The, the strange thing is that's almost celebrated where as soon as somebody plays a call off the app, there's a lot of people that go up in arms about that. It's interesting how the two, where I can imagine the effect would possibly be the same. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like a bit of a, a conflicting hypocritical view right but i think that there's some value in 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 um distinguishing between the two 
I think with, with bird calls on apps, people often do it too aggressively. Um, they play the call way louder than it would naturally ever occur in the environment, which is obviously quite a shock to, to any birds nearby. Of course, they do that to attract birds from a further distance and make sure the birds hear them, but birds actually have very acute hearing for the most part, so you don't need to play playbacks very loud for them to hear you. Um, and I think that gets abused, so you can't really do that with your mouth well, you can to a certain extent, but I don't know how, how loud you could make the pop of a green barbet um, <laughs> if you're in Goya. So I think from that point of view, you can't abuse the, the calling from your mouth. And um, I think people play tape for, for minutes on end sometimes for things like fluff tails, whereas I, I challenge anyone to keep that up with making hoots with their mouth, for instance. So I do think there is a difference. I think calling birds up with your mouth, whether it's Imitating the the call or or spishing or pishing, however you want to call it, can certainly have a similar effect to playback. I just think it's a m- much more difficult to to abuse and overdo than it is to play off an app or through car speakers or a Bluetooth speaker or things like that. So you're involved in the BirdLife South Africa South Africa Listers Club, and listing adds a fantastic element to many people's birding. But the desire to add more birds to the list can also, I can imagine, have some negative results. Yeah, of course. I alluded to it earlier that you know the competitive uh, nature of birding these days, um, and I'm not saying everyone's a competitive birder, it's, it's uh, some birders, means people sometimes sort of chase the tick rather than and forget about the birds in, in the way that they go about their birding. And I think it's, it's quite sad with, with many birders I've seen that uh, you know the tick is more important than the bird, and they see a bird ticket and move on without even really studying it or appreciating it. So I think at the, the South Africa Listers Club, we try to do things a little bit differently. We don't place an emphasis on where you are sort of compared to other people. So we have a leaderboard, obviously, um, but it's more for people to track their own progress and to see where their friends are at. And we try and have a, a bit more of a community feel about it rather than a competitive feel. And when you're celebrating milestones, it, it's a celebrating personal achievement, which I think is totally valid. Um, and I think for for the reason of birders taking things too far and not respecting birds and their welfare, we removed the need for birders to see birds to count them on their South Africa lists. So we have given birders the option um, that they can list birds that they've only heard. And there's been quite a lot of people that have received this quite well. There's there's quite a lot of people out there who, if they hear a red-chested flufftail um, calling from a wetland, they don't want to stamp around in the wetland and go and flush the bird or to play call for it to walk across a little uh, open patch somewhere for, for minutes on end and potentially stress it out or have any other unknown effects. So it's been quite well received and, and people have started listing birds that they've only heard. And I think that's it's... It's a weird concept for South Africans, but it's actually quite an established practice around the world, and especially in North America, the birders there are very happy to tick on call. Um, many people would still prefer to see the bird. I list birds that I've heard on my South Africa list, but obviously I try and see them, but it does remove the need for me to be invasive in the way that I want to see them. If I don't see a bird, it's not the end of the world. I can still count it, so if I hear it and can identify it. And I think I'll just say here that I think the the point that people must sort of accept is that bird calls are on these apps not for you to use and abuse the calls and call birds in. It's actually an identification aid. It's not something to uh, that's supposed to be used in the field to lure birds in. I don't think that was ever the intention. It's more for you to be able to teach yourself 
and refer to this resource to sort of confirm that that is what you're hearing in the field. So I think, you know, we have this wonderful technology out there and it's certainly boosted birding and has done wonderful things for birders. And I think birders of old will always be jealous of what's available these days to, to birders on a pretty affordable app. But um, I think just to bear in mind that we shouldn't use and abuse that technology to the detriment of the birds. So we've touched on twitching to an extent, but when people go out and twitch, oftentimes at a lot, depending on how special the bird is, often there's many, many birders go to these sites. And I can imagine that there's the possibility that there could be some sort of impact, um, negative impact to the environment. So what are some things that birders can do at these sites to protect both the birds and the environment that they are found in? Yeah, I think twitching for some reason gets a bad rap sometimes and, and twitches are sometimes looked down on. I know it's a particular bugbear of Trevor's that people consider twitches dirty birders in, in some instances. And I think that's grossly unfair most of the time. I think where that does sometimes gain some credit is when you get those listers who who are listers and not birders, so are just out there to accumulate a big list and they will sort of disregard the birds in the pursuit of that. And I think that's definitely the minority of twitches. But if you are to twitch, I mean, if it, there's a lot of things that you can do. I mean, the as I said, if you just use the the tenets of putting the welfare of the bird and its habitat and the welfare of other birders as your utmost priorities, and you use those principles to guide yourself then I think you should be fine. And then obviously that then translates to things like if you're on private property, make sure that you've got permission to access the site first. Make sure that you are respecting the road networks and not going off-road, that you're respecting the infrastructure. We've had issues with birders at popular twitch sites in the Western Cape driving over people's pipes continuously and breaking them, and the owners are getting sort of hesitant to let birders onto their properties in some sort of key sites in the Western Cape, for instance. So paying respect to the context that you're in is important. And I think this this whole conversation came out of an instance where birders were abusing callback at a Twitch site. Um, and I think everyone on your panel today will probably agree that using playback for a very lost bird, which lots of people are wanting to see, is a little bit disrespectful towards other birders who you know will be quite angry and, and also sad and disappointed if the bird moves on as a result of people abusing playback. But also that the bird is probably, but not always, under quite a considerable amount of stress. If it's just arrived and it's in an unfamiliar environment, it's not sure what's going on, it's clearly lost, that bird could be under quite a lot of stress. Although, of course, some some rarities seem to settle quite well, um, in which case, you know, that's not that's not the point. So I think, you know, Adam, it, it depends on the context, but I think if people put the bird in their habitat's welfare as well as the welfare of other birders first, then I think you should be well-guided. And then in terms of the use of callback, how much is too much? My personal philosophy, you know, I, I try to avoid playback. Um, I don't use it on a regular basis. I'll use it in select instances where perhaps I've traveled very far to see a particular bird and it would be a real shame if I missed out. I will give one or two bursts of playback and then leave it at that. If the bird's in the area, it will have heard you. Um, you don't need to keep playing it for for minutes and minutes on end to try and lure it out. And it's it's not a natural occurrence. So so anything that doesn't mimic how the bird would naturally call in the wild um, is basically too much and not just too much but also too loud i think this is a real problem as well as birders really blast it and use their car speakers for instance when they're driving around a place to call up 
racquetels, rollers, and puffery, or whatever it is, to really project that that sound out into the felt, and that's obviously very unnatural and disruptive to the bird, and, and quite a shock to the system to hear what must be a giant racquetels roller calling from across the road or at the edge of the the Mopani forest. So anything that that isn't a natural imitation of what birds would sound like in the wild and how they would call i think is too much you really do have to be sensible about it so andrew i really appreciate it uh, you being on the show it's been great to have you back again and yeah i just for bringing birdlife south africa's perspective on this all-important topic but for those that want to find out more about the south african listers club what how can they get in contact with you or get information about that yeah thanks adam it's been a real pleasure to chat about this important topic with you. I'm always keen to talk about anything related to birds, particularly ethical birding. And I think there's a lot that we can still unpack in future episodes if you're up for it. And uh, the South South Africa Listers Club is something that's hosted by BirdLife South Africa. And you can find the link to it on our website. If you log into birdlife.org.za and look for the Go Birding drop-down tab. You'll see an icon there with a beautiful Cape Sugarbird that says SA Listers Club. You can click on that, and it's a very simple online form to submit your total or to update your total if you're already a member. Um, So it's a, a very quick and easy process. And alternatively, if you don't win, with that method, then you're very welcome to email SA Listers Club at birdlife.org.za, and we'll help you out that way. And if you want the milestone pin badges that have been produced in the various colors of the South African flag, uh, whether you're celebrating anything from 300 through to 700, uh, you can find these on the BirdLife South Africa online shop, and that's at shop.birdlife.org.za. Thanks so much to my three guests. I will share all relevant links that Andrew mentioned in the notes to the show. If you are listening on a radio station, simply head on over to BirdLife South Africa's website www.birdlife.org.za We hope that this episode has shed some light on these all-important topics. If you have any comments or questions, please don't hesitate to drop us an email at info at Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation as well as Surovsky Optic one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.